So, if you have, uh, or it'll be on the screen, in fact, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and this is the passage described as the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your, your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with, with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eaten in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it, from the first day until the seventh, must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it, must be cut off from the community in Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. 
Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Let's pray together. Father, we're quite familiar with those words and perhaps the idea of Passover as a festival. But as tonight we come and we prepare to gather around your table to remember that supper that you instituted for us. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open, that we would respond to you, that we would hear your voice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To be honest, I usually have a problem with titles that you get given when you're told to talk at, I almost said the wrong church, uh, (laughs) at this church, uh, eating with God. And you don't have to be very astute to realize that the blood in the door meant the Lord passed over the door and didn't come in. So actually there was an absent guest for dinner at the Passover So having got my problem with the title out of the way, let's have some thoughts about that. And really the focus is coming to the Lord's table to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. So eating with the Lord, okay, perhaps not the greatest start. Jane has hens and she's uh, nine. Yesterday morning, if you'd come to us, there were nine hens. And this is Lydia. And it was... It was Lydia because Lydia named it Lydia. And the trouble with Lydia is Lydia turned out not to be a Lydia. Lydia turned out to be a lad. And this week, Lydia has been cockadoodle doing this Lydia, not that Lydia, just for clarity. So Lydia has been cockadoodle doing, and that's been a little problem because Jane's on a WhatsApp group in the neighbourhood, and one of the people are saying, have you heard a cockerel in the morning? And we're saying, yeah, it's Annalise across the road. So we thought actually the time had come that Lydia, I'm afraid having declared herself to be a himself, had met his match. So we thought, well, Lydia uh, came to a timely end yesterday morning and we thought there's actually quite a lot of Lydia and we're not going to manage to eat Lydia all by ourselves and then we remembered that Athol who's 83 years of age and he lives one of our neighbours 
And he said, sometime can I come up and teach me how to make curries? So we said to Athel, do you want to come up and we'll make some curries? We'll make mushroom curry and we'll make some dal and how about a chicken curry? <laughs> so four o'clock in the afternoon, Athel pitches up with his own bottle of beer to have with his curry. And he spends a couple of hours preparing Lydia for the feast. And we ate, and we ate well. And the meal actually took a lot less time than the preparation. But I thought, actually, thinking about Passover, it's interesting how many uh, similarities there are to some of the things we're told about in the Passover. This idea, actually, of something having to die, this idea of a lot of preparation time, and then actually, woof, before you know it, the meal has gone. So that's by way of introduction. And Athol seemed to enjoy himself. Whether he'll ever make curries again, I think, is a moot point. This has just died. That's good. He's going to fix it. <laughs> so what I want to do really is look simply at this passage, not to go into it. Bill's here at the back. If you want to know about Passover and all of that, he's the man. I'm not going to give in any way uh, an academic treatise or even to try and explain it. Simply to respond as I read it again to some of the thoughts, to some of the principles that we had. And I'm hoping Clayton's going to give us yes. some slides. <laughs> Do you want me just to talk on? Uh, yes, it's coming back just now. It's coming back. Good, because I left my laptop at home. <laughs> Splendid. So Passover, it evolved over time. But here we have the institution, the celebration. And actually, it's interesting because it's before the event, the Passover has happened. And even then, it's being instituted for all time in perpetuity for this celebration. Even before there's anything to celebrate, the Passover is instituted. It becomes more formal as time goes on, the temple's destroyed, it once again comes back to the family. And then of course, as we remember today, around the time of the Passover in Jerusalem, many years later, Jesus was arrested, leading to his death. Interesting that Abby talked today about time of trouble, which I couldn't fit on that bit, so I've called it troubled times, without knowing what Abby would be speaking about this morning. But in Egypt at the time, there were times of trouble. There'd been plague after plague after catastrophe. There'd been natural catastrophes. There'd been hail. There'd been, I don't know, pollution. The, the water had turned to blood. There had been insects. There'd been boils. There'd been all sorts of horrendous things happening. There was a lot of labor unrest because these Israelites were pretty restless. They wanted to go. Pharaoh didn't want them to go. That was really going to mess up the economy of the country. There was this danger of civil unrest. These were troubled times. Troubled times for the Egyptians, but troubled times too for the Israelites because they didn't know what is going to happen. We think we're going to escape. We think we're going to be delivered, but here we are. We're still here. And Moses comes and says, there's a Passover. We're going to have a celebration. Yes, you're still in Egypt, but there's going to be a celebration. And there was that anticipation that actually maybe things would even get worse before they would get better. 
And yet in that context, God tells Moses, I'm going to institute a Passover feast. I'm going to institute something that you will celebrate in perpetuity. And there were a number of features when I looked through the story that caught my attention and perhaps we could do well to think about. The first was, this wasn't a spontaneous off-the-cuff thing. God said, right, that's it. I'm fed up with Pharaoh. Let's go. This was planned. It was planned in advance. There were things that had to be done. There was preparation of the meal. There was the consideration of, have I got enough food? Have I got just enough? Not too much. Can I share with the neighbour? Can I bring this all together and make it complete? There was the need to prepare to have the hyssop ready to paint the lintel of the door with blood. There was advanced planning required, as we see in verse 2. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. And then in verse 4, there was to be sharing. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. This wasn't a question of saying, do we get three or four pizzas? I don't know, let's go for five just in case. This was prepared and planned and thought about. You knew which neighbour you had gone to. You'd calculated how much food was required. It was carefully thought out in advance. The timing was clear. The timing was precise. And it was constantly a time for sharing, for small groups to share, not large groups, not everyone coming together in a church hall, small groups coming together, sitting around a table, sharing together. But actually, for all the preparation, it turned out to be a rest meal. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I don't know if you've had Middle Eastern food, and I guess in many ways it's very much how it's been for, for many, many years. It's exquisitely good. And the one thing about it is it's exquisitely variable. There's vegetables, there's fruit, there's uh, meats, there's breads, there's grains, there's all sorts of things. The variety is huge. No Palestinian meal is complete without a whole range of different meals. The usual thing in a restaurant is you'll have two more dishes than you have people sat at the table. So if you've got 12 people at a table, you will have 14 different dishes as your entree to share. Sharing is part and parcel of the meal. All this preparation, and yet they eat it standing up, ready to go. They haven't seasoned it, they haven't marinated it, they haven't waited for the bread to rise. Woomph! Straight in. All the preparation turns into this rapid, rushed meal. And it's a simple meal. It's not a, it, more simple than that, which I guess is a modern-day Passover with lamb, parsley, celery, whatever, as bitter herbs. It's a rushed meal because God has a plan. And yet that plan was something he said, this is something you're going to celebrate in perpetuity. And you're going to prepare for it. You're going to plan for it. You're going to involve your neighbours. You're going to come together in small groups and celebrate this. But when you celebrate it, be ready to move. 
And it kind of brings you to this question, what is uh, commemoration? What is celebration? Verse 14, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. It's a commemoration to remember. It's also a celebration. Verse 13, 17, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And here you can see an obvious celebration. It's the end of a war. Peace is just broken out. People are celebrating. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate New Year. And we commemorate communion. And we commemorate those who have fallen in war. It's like we have an idea that commemoration and celebration are actually different things. We think of celebration, that's when we're happy. That's when we rejoice. That's when we're really full of excitement, enthusiasm. But commemoration, well, commemoration is solemn. Commemoration is about respect. Commemoration is about being quiet. Commemoration, actually, it may fill you with a sense of well-being, but it's not something to be joyous about. It's not something to shout about. It's not something to celebrate. And yet here in the passage, the institution of commemoration is a commemoration to celebrate. And I wonder sometimes when we commemorate, is it all a bit solemn? I'm not saying it shouldn't be with respect, but maybe a bit solemn. And perhaps sometimes we forget that the whole point of our commemoration, for example, of Jesus giving us life. Yes, it's solemn. Yes, we approach it with respect. But actually, we're meant to be joyful too. We're meant to commemorate, to remember, but also to be joyful. And perhaps that's something difficult to do in a larger group, but perhaps in these smaller groups, as you celebrate Passover, that commemoration, that remembering, is also something where you think, not only do I remember solemnly, with respect, but I also celebrate with joy. That's the point of the lasting ordinance. I can get away with the next slide because I'm Irish, but William Butler Yeats said, being Irish... He had an abiding sense of tragedy, which sustained him through temporary periods of joy. <laughs> we tend to be built to commemorate. We remember. We come together. It's solemn. It's sincere. You think of the stories of the, the, the elders coming to communion in the, in, in the kirk, and they would be wearing full dinner jackets and all of this. It'd be incredibly serious incredibly serious and yet where's the joy where's the joy of liberation where's the joy of deliverance so it's perhaps something we need to think about that actually yes we are to commemorate and when we come to the table we are to commemorate but we're also to celebrate they're not alternatives it's not that we celebrate christmas and new year and birthdays and your team winning whatever it is and we commemorate things that tend to be serious and sad actually we need to bring these together because otherwise we do not fully capture what grace has given to us and that struck me quite powerfully that these verses it says commemorate celebrate commemorate celebrate the two are part and parcel of the same thing 
Verse 16, it's a big deal. It may be a rushed meal, but it's a big deal. There's a lot of preparation. And when you come from Passover and then move to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, everybody has got to stop. Stop what you're doing. Focus on this. Only on this. The only thing you can do is prepare for the feast. That is the only thing you're allowed to do. And yet often we have communion and we tuck it on at the end of our service. It's kind of, oh, it's communion this Sunday at the end of the service. And yet you wonder, well, perhaps we need to focus much more on the preparation, on the coming together, on the readiness, on remembering truly the commemoration so that we can appreciate what grace has done and we can then learn how to celebrate. So we stop work because it is so important to prepare, even though the event itself may take a very short period of time. In verse 26, you have this, I think, lovely picture. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. And the amazing thing about this, that's maybe not apparent from that particular picture, who officiates at the most important commemoration or celebration of faith and God's deliverance? It's not a pastor. It's not an elder. It's not somebody who's ticked a box or has a degree. It's not somebody who's been ordained. It's people together celebrating together. There's no clergy. There's nothing official. There's no hierarchy. It is people sitting around a table celebrating, commemorating what God has done. And that sense of preparation and remembering, not because somebody's telling us to, we're great at organising meetings because it's what we do. Let's do that. Oh, yeah, let's organise a meeting. Let's get together. Let's organise a meeting. Yes. Let's hear a sermon. Let's hear a longer sermon. Let's hear an even longer sermon. And actually, no, stop everything you're doing and prepare. Stop everything you're doing apart from preparing yourself. And when you prepare, you come together as family with neighbours. But you come together as family and you remember and you celebrate Nobody's telling you what to do. There are no need for any words. You're eating, you're sharing, you're remembering. This is the Passover feast for the Lord. And how much could we learn if we actually took that approach? Said this isn't something done for us. It's not something talked at us. This is us together ministering to one another, sharing with one another, uncomfortable though that can be, but actually sharing because we say, we're part of God's family. We have been delivered. We have this Passover feast and the people bowed down and worshiped. But then you update it and you think, well, Egypt, troubled times. There was plagues. There'd been nine of them and there was another to come and they didn't know yet, but there was nine plagues. There was civil strife, there was labour unrest, there was disease. And you look at our world today and what do you see? Well, you see problems with climate, 
you see people at war, you see civil unrest, you see labor unrest, you have this shadow of a pandemic in the background and the possibility of more to come. And you think, actually, and we pray, and we prayed it this morning, times of trouble, we pray for deliverance. We pray for the Lord's deliverance. It's interesting that they had this celebration before the deliverance came. And before the deliverance came, they were told, you will keep on celebrating this after the deliverance has come. And just as we heard this morning, as we come in times of trouble to focus on what God has done, what he keeps on doing, and even though times of trouble come and they come back, we still focus on God. That's a tremendous cause for celebration as we remember, as we commemorate. So when we look out on a damaged, broken world, we have to ask ourselves, how do we prepare ourselves for that deliverance? What do we do? What do we remember? How do we celebrate? How do we remember what has already been done? And of course, it pushes us and points us to Jesus. Oops. So we come to the Lord's table to remember. It's solemn, of course. It's amazing. We come with respect, but we also come with that sense of joy. We know that times of trouble have come. Times of trouble will come, but we know there is a delivery, a deliverer. And we know that even if we celebrate now, the delivery that we need may not yet have come. But just like the people here, we know the Lord is faithful. We celebrate because of what he's done, but we celebrate and we prepare ourselves for that celebration because of what he will do, what he has promised to do, what he has done before and will do again. We come together to remember. I want to read words from Matthew 26 that you'll be very familiar with, leading us into a time of coming to the Lord's table. But before that, I have just remembered, we are going to sing a song, okay. <laughs> which you may not know. A couple of weeks ago in the, the Saturday uh, prayer meeting, Debbie Cochran, uh, I think Abby had invited people to say, read a passage of scripture, and she read a psalm. And the words of that psalm are this song, which you may or may not have known. So perhaps just stay sitting right now, and we're going to try it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 